you know, someone always said to me, like, it's not good that the thing that you value the most in sports is a social side of it. And here I am in the NFL playing and have a role in the team that I'm very blessed to have. And it, I look back and I'm like, you know what, maybe it is a good thing that this, my favorite part of football is the social side of it. Um, what are your thoughts on that, Ryan? I think it's the people that make everything. It's the relationships. It's who you meet along the way and different stops along your journey that really make it special and make it, you know, exciting when you go to a new spot and you start a new chapter. And it's, you know, even sometimes in those chapters, as you know, and I know, those people go with you, but their lives change. People get married, they have kids, they grow old, they go through different things, but it's a community aspect and and the social thing makes it. It's just, if you're that type of person like you and I are, it it, it makes everything that much better. The the NFL stands for, not for long. Second down and goal from just inside the two. Backs offset, Sharga and Armstead. Rollout, Walker. Still running out. Looks to the left. Wide open. Thompson touchdown. Colin Thompson with the touchdown. There was nobody within 20 yards. What of a catch off the bobble. Colin Thompson scoops it up. Lofting quarter of the end zone. It is caught for the touchdown. The first NFL touch for Colin Thompson is a score. Too many words I left to say. So they get left behind. What's going on, everybody? Happy Memorial Day weekend. This is your host, Colin Thompson for Not For Long Media. I'm with Justin Ayers. Justin Ayers, how are we doing? I'm good, man. It's good to see you again. It's great to be back. Episode 15, uh, a good friend of the program, Ryan Kelly, Director of Football of Operations for the American Athletic Conference. So, again, a different type guest that we're bringing that I'm excited to bring to you guys. Again, I, the, what I pride myself on or what I want to continue to do with this podcast is bring people on that are different than your cookie cutter sports podcast or whatever we may be. Uh, we're going to have all different types of guests on that are in all different types of, of, uh, of things. So we're really excited to have Ryan Kelly on again, director of football operations for the American athletic conference, the AAC, a conference that I played in in college. Uh, Ryan uh, played division three football. He'll talk about that a little bit. And then he talks about transitioning into the football you know, business side, the, the coaching, the operation side. And, and now he does operations for, for, for the conference that I played in for three years. Uh, he started at Coastal Carolina, uh, worked his way to Temple and then to Baylor and then back to the conference. So really cool, interesting stories about our time together at Temple. So the Temple fans will like that. He'll tell some stories about what's going on in the American Athletic Conference. Um, he had a, a run-in with the vice president and got to do a motorcade with them, which is really cool. So he's got some really fun stories about operations. And it, I think it peels back some really good, strong layers of the other side of football, because people don't, people just see, you know, maybe the game, they see the result. Maybe they'll see a little bit of a spring game or spring pack practice if they're diehards, but they don't really see truly uh, what, what goes on uh, the, the grease, the oil. And, and that's the operation department that, moves the team from point A to point B that uh, sets up the meals that sets up the travel uh, that does everything truly does everything. So I'm looking forward to Ryan Kelly for coming on. Thanks for coming on, man. But before we get into, into anything, cause we have a lot of good stuff today. I want to talk about our wonderful sponsors here and not for long media. First, the original fudge kitchen. They've been celebrating 50 years of business at the Jersey shore. It's a staple down there and all across the country because you can ship their fudge across the country, birthdays, holidays, or really just because you're a good friend. There's no better thing than giving someone a box of fudge and they, they don't know what it is. And all of a sudden they open it up and it's a sweet treat that they can share with everyone. The original Fudge Kitchen, check them out, fudgekitchens.com, celebrating 50 years of business. Congrats to you guys. Cape May Brewing Company, Memorial Day weekend passed. And what they're doing now is they're, they're doing 10 beers, a whole series where you can sample things of the Jersey shore of their 10 year history. And it's a 10 beer series. Like I said, check their, check them out online. Kmaybrewingcompany.com. Awesome beer. I love their IPA, even though I'm not the biggest IPA fan. I love their IPA. It, it's fantastic. I love the boat ramp champ. They have a bog. They have a great beer. They have literally everything for every flare profile. I love their stout as well. So Kmay Brewing Company, Conveniently located at the Cape May Wildwood Airport, right off the parkway, Route 9. And again, you can buy it anywhere in eastern Pennsylvania, Delaware, or New Jersey. 
They are killing it. Cape May Brewing Company, check them out. And then Wealth Advisory Services. If you don't know them, you should. They provide a customized approach to managing all levels of wealth. Almost 100 years of experience amongst our team uh, in financial planning. And they're people that I've been extremely blessed to be able to work with starting at a younger age. And now that I'm getting older and able to bounce stock ideas off them and talk about 401k planning and talk about buying a house and managing a budget, um, live life on your terms. Wealth Advisory Services has an experience and experience you can trust. WealthAdvisoryServices.com. Thank you, our sponsors. We appreciate your we appreciate your support. I am struggling with words today. And we are going to send it over to Justin in this Justin segment. It's all right, man. I'm here for you. I'm going to take a little bit of the heat off for you. Uh, three topics for this Justin this week. First up, uh, if you've been following the NBA playoffs, you've noticed that there has been a surge in the number of fan-related incidents at these NBA playoff games lately. So there's been four, I think in the last like couple weeks, a 76ers fan showered Russell Westbrook with popcorn as he was coming off with an ankle injury. Uh, a New York Knicks fan spat all over uh, Atlanta Hawks star Trey Young. Uh, a Boston Celtics fan threw a full water bottle at Kyrie Irving as they were uh, like walking back to the tunnel at the end of the game. And last night, uh, Monday night, a, uh, a fan ran onto the court at the 76ers Wizards playoff game in D.C. Uh, it was just like it was the security guard on that one. If you ever want to go back and look at this, there's a great uh, clip that got tweeted out. Uh, the security guard did a great form tackle, grabbed him by the legs. I'm sure that uh, all your NFL fans, all your NFL friends would be uh, be proud of that that security guard's tackling there. But what do you think is behind all of these, like, these rash of incidences? Do you think it's just the simple fact that this is the first time that people are coming out of their homes, we're all back in the arenas together? Do you think that's what's causing it? Because it seems like there's so many of them. It just shows you how desperate people are for attention. First off, let's handle all the incidents separately. Okay, we're gonna. The one we didn't even mention was the popcorn on Russell Westbrook's head uh, at the end of a end of the Sixers game, right? So he gets escorted out because he got hurt, and then a Philly fan is gonna dump popcorn on his head. You're an ass if you're gonna put anything on anybody, right? Let alone it's popcorn, beer, water. What makes you think that? I just don't understand it. It's not the world I live in of fanhood, but I know there's great, the 99.9, almost hundred percent of fans are awesome people, but that's another human being that has a family that has children and their son is watching the game or daughter's watching the game. And why is someone dumping popcorn on daddy's head? Listen, I get it. You paid for that, those seats that gives you absolutely zero right to disrespect the human being and dump one on somebody's head. You know how much Russell Westbrook would probably love to stand outside that person's work, whether they're an accountant, they work for a bank, they're a landscaper, they're a bartender, they're whatever, and just dump some popcorn on their head, especially when they're injured. He's injured walking off the floor. This isn't like someone who's like flipping off the crowd saying, I'll smell you later. So that's ridiculous. The spitting incident, they should be banned for life. You should never step foot in any arena, period. You're going to spit on another human being. They're not even getting an altercation. You're just spitting on a player on the floor. You're scum. And then you're going to run on the floor during a game. Hey, I'll be the first person to tell you that it, it adds some quality entertainment if no one gets hurt, okay? Don't put your hands on anybody. You're going to streak and run across the field. I'm not encouraging it. I'm not saying it's ideal. But we, we've been lying to you as a player that doesn't sit there as a fan. It says, let me see the highlight. Let me see the highlight of the person running on the field the tackle by the security guards. You all see it at baseball games. You know, famously, you know, people just running across the field, making guards miss. Listen, I don't think it's good. I think you're still desperate for attention. But it's a little bit, it's, it's they're, they're completely separate things. Uh, even though we're talking about all the incidents for sure. So what do we miss? We talked We talked about Russ Westbrook's popcorn. We talked about this bit. We look, talked about the latest uh, person running onto the floor in the Sixers game. The Kyrie Irving water bottle one was uh, that that was a heavy one because like they're they're talking about it after the game. Some of the, the post game clips from KD and Kyrie talking about it. They're 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 bringing up things such as race, like some very heavy stuff related to these incidents. Uh, and it's not just as simple as hey, it'd be funny if I just threw a water bottle out there. Uh, like there there's a lot of heavy stuff behind there. So that one in particular, I think, is the one that it's probably well that and the spitting. The spitting is is pretty pretty terrible. 
um, horrible. Yeah, those, and those I was the stand-up. water bottle thing. That's a weapon. So I think yeah, that, that was the boss, the kid in Boston. So he's, yeah. he should be charged. Don't, what are you doing? You're just embarrassing you yourself. I heard they're trying to blame COVID and the race thing is real. I mean, people, I hate to say this as my podcast and it's not the, the majority, but get your shit together. There's no need to disrespect anybody. Right. And it's a shame we're even talking about this and bringing it to light. But it's so disrespectful. Last year, we're at multiple, multiple games, right? Uh, home games, away games, and it's silent. There's not a lot of people in the crowd. Obviously, it's during the national anthem. Some players have chosen to kneel, put a fist up, whatever it may be. The amount of racist terms I heard, and you're about to go play a football game that fans paid money to go see, it, it's so disturbing. And we weren't even planning to go down this, this alley. But it is so sickening and disturbing that in this world we live in today that this still goes on. Uh, I follow the NHL a lot. It's still happening in the NHL to players. Um, gay Pride Month this month, and there's just still videos of people just being asses. So, again, I'll say it again because I hate cursing, and I'll, and I'll never do it on the air. But get your shit together and love and be kind because there's a lot of great people in the world, and uh, they deserve their peace and their respect whether you're a pro athlete, whether you're somebody walking down the street. Um, again, we didn't plan on going down this road, but it's, it's a shame. It's a shame that a lot, so much, th- so many negative things in this world happen to, to such good people, um, especially athletes that are just trying to go out and do their job and provide for their families, uh, friends, whatever that may be. So yeah, get your, get your crap together, folks. And uh, you know, that's, again, it's the 0.001%. But let's, you know, try to do our part and, and move, in, move in the meter in the sense that, hey, we're going to, you know, be a beacon of light and, and try to influence change and call people out for doing what they're doing. Because, right, if everyone just lets it go under the rug, it'll never be changed. So, yeah, we'll keep it moving. But it's a shame what's happening. And, and, and it's been such a great playoffs in the NHL, the NBA. Um, but, but for people to put blemishes on like that's really, really, truly a shame. Yeah, no, absolutely. Very well said. We have to clean it up. Uh, next up in this, Justin, the second-ranked female tennis player, Naomi Osaka, has withdrawn from the French Open, citing concerns with her mental health. She, I didn't know this. She was actually the, fe- the highest-paid female athlete in the world. She's been battling depression and anxiety since 2018, and it's like the first time she's come forward with this. Um, you know, in, in an Instagram post on Monday, she had this whole big uh, thing. Go, back, go out and look at it. Uh, she said she's very introverted. She does not like talking to the press. And she said, quote, anybody has seen me at tournaments will notice that I'm often wearing headphones as that helps me dull my social anxiety. Uh, this is a big deal. 35% of athletes have either suffered from mental health, such as stress, eating disorders, burnout, depression, anxiety. Um, how important do you think it is for athletes like Naomi Osaka to be more open about this and just get out in front of it and, you know, make these kind of things uh, public? Well, it's great that she's open with it. And, and obviously it's become a big enough thing that it, uh, that she feels comfortable making it public or wants to make it public. Uh, and, and credit to her for working through that because everybody has them and to some degree. Um, but let's remember this. Like, it's one thing for me as a 27 year old, you know, young man, man to handle stress and anxiety. She started becoming a pro at 14 years old. I believe it was 14, 15. She's getting compared to Serena Williams and, you know, the, the Williams sisters and the all-time greats in the, the, the game of tennis. And she's beating people at that age. So she can't go to school anymore. She can't go to the grocery store. She can't go with her friends out to the movies. There's a certain level of training time that's needed. There's a certain level of expectation probably from sponsors. She gets massive sponsors. Obviously, you, you just said the number that you didn't say the numbers she's making, but you said she's how high highly ranked she is. So this is someone at 14 to 18 years old is handling things way different than what anybody is handling from that age. And that, you know, the international sport, maybe golf's another sport that would be like that, you know, a solo true solo sport where you have massive brands, you know, football where I'm in high school football, I'm playing 10 games a year and then I'm done for the next eight months, nine months. Um, maybe do some interviews, whatever. Even if you're a top recruit, you go play in an Under Armour All-American game or whatever it may be, but you're still at home. No one knows who you are. Uh, People still don't know who you are, but 
she is an international figure. So credit to her for seeing help. Credit to her for taking this on how she wants to. Um, she wants to make it public. There's a lot of people that are extremely private about it, that, that battle it, that you would never know. Um, and, and, you know, just a sneak peek into our organization, we have help in all those avenues and, and they really across the NFL, everybody does and all pro sports. It seems at this point there, you know, there's psychiatrists on staff to help you with mental strength and conditioning, not just physical strength and conditioning, working on your mind, working on battling anxiety, depression, or building your mental picture of how you can perform a visionary uh, you know, visualization techniques, which has been really cool for me or help me sleep better. I've done some stuff with that. So yeah, there's a big investment into it. I'm looking forward to the next 10 years of the athletes behind us because their mental makeup, it's going to be way different um, than ours. Yeah, sure. I'm not saying toughness, but I'm saying more of you're going to have help at a young age to manage some of these things that come into your life that you may not know. So she's going to help a ton of young professionals because of this, not just athletes and uh, credit to her, credit to her toughness, and uh, we wish her nothing but the best here. I love it. All right, real quick, last up in this, Justin, the Toronto Maple Leafs. A little, ho- little hockey talk here at the end there. They got bounced last night, Monday night, uh, in the first round of the NHL playoffs by the, by the Montreal Canadiens. In seven games, they were up three games to one, so let's start the three games to one jokes again. This is their fifth consecutive year that they've been bounced in the opening round of the playoffs. I think it's like their third in a game seven. One year there's like a game five. Uh, the, the Toronto Maple Leafs, good, good God. What, as a hockey fan yourself, uh, are they just like, you know, are, are they the joke of the NHL now with all of these uh, first round bounces? I don't know if they're the joke of the NHL because they were so dominant in the regular season. And yes, there's a lot of first round bounces. But they're an organization that are that is on the rise 110%. They're not going to be going anywhere next year. They're only going to get better. Yes, it is consistent in the first round bounce. Yes, it is consistent that they went all in this year and last year, I believe, and they couldn't get through. So shout out to the Canadians. Carey Price, everyone's saying, is it over? He played fantastic for the Canadians. They have a lot of depth. They're a playoff team. Shout out the rear admiral of, uh, of Spitting Chicklets and Barstool Sports. He may have been the only person in the whole entire media world that picked the Canadians. Uh, I was listening to them on Spitting Chicklets, one of my favorite podcasts, and he was saying, I, I, you know, I almost took them as a joke, but I just thought the Canadians are really good in the playoffs, and, and Montreal is not proven yet. So, yeah, what are your thoughts? I don't know a ton about them. I, I know that they have Tavares, their captain, got uh, hurt in game one. I don't think he played after that. I think having him probably would have helped in games five and six when they lost by one goal each. You know, he could have used a little more uh, little instant offense there with John Tavares. But, yeah, I don't – it's been 19,754 days since the Leafs won the Stanley Cup. And they, it, they're just 33 days away from setting the longest playoff drought record in the history of hockey. So, uh, John Tavares is a huge blow. It's a great point. He He – is was you know formerly of the Islanders. Everyone remembers he went home to Toronto to play for his hometown team. He's an extremely complete player, one of the top players in the NHL. And he got hit and then fell, and then someone skated into him by accident. It was a bang bang type play, and he got a concussion. And or I believe he got a concussion. I don't want to say it, but he went to the hospital. I know he was out for a little bit. He started skating again and feeling better, but I don't know the details there. But he's a good guy. He's their captain. Joe Thornton goes there to win a Stanley Cup, had a nice year for him. Third, fourth line guy, had a, played up a little higher in the playoffs up in the first and second line with Matthews and Marner and those guys. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens because are they going to blow the team up? They can't. They have a really high – they're really high on the payroll scale. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's not a good place to be in. The Flyers were in that same boat for a while. The first, They're still in it. First round out. You know, where do you stand? You're going to get the 15th, 16th overall pick. And now all of a sudden you're getting, you're, you know, you're drafting middle of the pit, you know, you're in cap hell and your draft pick's not high. So we'll see what happens. All right. That's all I got for you. Thank you, Justin. And uh, again, shout out to Wealth Advisory Services. If you don't know them, you should check them out. WealthAdvisoryServices.com. 50 years, the original Fudge Kitchen, celebrating 50 years of business. That's a long time. Like I said, Justin, not for long media, will be around for 50 years. We're going to make it. Uh, Cape May Brewing Company, anywhere 
Eastern Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Delaware. It's one of my favorite beers, if not my favorite beer when it comes to their selection. They have so much. So I love what they're doing there. Check them out. And they got great apparel too. love their T-shirts and hats. So that's going to do it for us, guys. Episode 15. We are chugging along. We're going to send it over to Ryan Kelly, Director of Football Operations in the American Athletic Conference. Enjoy. All right, so we got the great Ryan Kelly in the house. He's running the show uh, operationally for the American Athletic Conference, which is really cool. A conference near and dear to my heart. A conference that's had a ton of success in a lot of sports, specifically football on the national scale. Basketball, Houston had a huge run this year as well as other teams. But uh, the fun part about being a player for me is the social side of sports. And we're going to talk about that a little bit with Ryan today. But, you know, someone always said to me, like, it's not good that the thing that you value the most in sports is a social side of it. And here I am in the NFL playing and have a role in the team that I'm very blessed to have. And it, I look back and I'm like, you know what, maybe it is a good thing that this, my favorite part of football is the social side of it. Um, what are your thoughts on that, Ryan? I think it's the people that make everything. It's the relationships, it's who you meet along the way and different stops along your journey that really make it special and make it, you know, exciting when you go to a new spot and you start a new chapter. And it's, you know, even sometimes in those chapters, as you know, and I know, those people go with you, but their lives change. People get married, they have kids, they grow old, they go through different things, but it, it, it's a community aspect and, and the social thing makes it. It's just, if you're that type of person like you and I are, it, uh, it, it makes everything that much better. It does. It really does. It doesn't feel like work. It doesn't feel like work. No. Like someone was talking, someone was talking about today in our facility, like, oh, what are you looking forward to tomorrow? I'm like, I'm looking forward to going to tight end meetings with Angelica, our tight end coach, because the guy's an absolute character. First off, he's the best at his job, right? That always goes without saying, like the work's going to get done. You're going to be first class approach to what you're going to do. You're going to do all the cliche things you're going to do for your job, but the social side of it uh, makes it. I'm sure you have some people in the office that you really enjoy going to work with every day. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and again, you know, going to those different spots, meeting those different people, you create bonds. And, you know, that's why I got involved in what I do and why you got involved in what you do. It, those people make it fun to get up in the morning and go to work. And that's why, it, you know, it doesn't feel like work, but it's still meaningful and special to you. No doubt. No doubt. And meaningful and special is, is something a few, definitely a couple of words, I'd say, for the picture behind you, uh, behind Ryan, for those listening and not on the YouTube watching the show uh, is the American conference championship 2016, your temple owls, Deion Dawkins and Finch and uh, looks like Roman and, and Avery in the suit, Avery in the suit. Can you tell that story with Avery in the suit? Well, first off, we won the conference championship at Navy in Annapolis, Maryland, which for those listening knows one of my favorite places uh, on earth. And Ryan, how we met was, and, and you heard this already is Ryan was in operations at temple and was young in his career and we became good pals and had a great time and was a part of a great staff and team there that achieved a lot of success but Avery Williams is behind you in a suit one of our best players on a Temple football team single digit guy guy that gave everything to Temple in that community but he's in a suit and everyone's in in, in full uniform holding the trophy up why so I think it was uh early in the second quarter or late in the first quarter definitely the first half uh Avery got ejected for targeting so part of a great ops guy is that you have to go in the locker room and make sure he stays in the locker room and everything. So, you know, knowing Avery, he, he got in there and had to blow off steam a little bit, pacing back and forth, you know, man, I can't believe this, you know, but one of the most dedicated, toughest, obviously single digit guy that we had, uh, my heart felt for him, but you know, I'm in there trying to console him as much as possible and said, Avery, you know, if you, you want to say in your stuff, say in your stuff, if not, you know, get changed. Ah, I, I, yeah, I got to take a shower. So he goes and takes a shower. I, I don't know if he's going to have shorts and jersey on or whatever. I, you know, come in and he's in a full suit. So uh, towards the end of the game, when we had it pretty much wrapped up, uh, I, I was getting uh, told told by a conference member, you know, he, the part of the game is that he's got to stay off the field and in the locker room the whole time. And you remember Greg Valen says he had the uh, had the belt, had the wrestling belt. So Avery's running by me and I'm trying to hold him up, but I'm not really getting in the way. And sure, sure as hell, he, he's behind us in the stands with the belt over his head and gets his hand on his trophy. And it's right front and center, you know, where he should be. But uh, again, he, 
you never knew what was going to happen with some of you guys. Yeah, we had quite the characters, quite the group, and 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 quite the staff. I will say, uh, we had we had a lot of fun, and a lot of guys I get to work here alongside with, and, and gals in Carolina, which has been really cool. So, uh, you've got to do some really unique things working with the American Athletic Conference. But I saw something on Facebook, and really just prompted it. I'm like, I got get Ryan on. I'm seeing pictures of Air Force One, and and I don't know the whole story behind it. But can you can you share that with with those listening at home? So our, our conference photographer, I became really close with, uh, uh, Ben Solomon. And he, a couple of years back had become personal photographer for, uh, president Obama's family and, and through his time, uh, vice president Biden and got to work some operational stuff and kind of went in and out of that life into the sports life and our cross paths. And like I said, we became close and we were just down in Fort Worth for our basketball tournament and he gets a call and it's vice president Harris's staff saying, Hey, you know, we'd really like you to come up. We need some help, get boots on the ground. People that know this process, how it works, everything like that. So I don't hear from for a couple of weeks, which is nothing unusual, but uh, I see on the news that she's coming to Rhode Island. Vice president Harris is coming to Rhode Island, which is obviously where I live. And uh, he, he, he texts me one night and he's like, Hey, uh, would you like to be, uh, a motorcade driver for vice for the vice president. And I look at it. I'm like, mm, I'm not biting on this one. So I wait a day. He calls me. He's like, seriously, I need to know, like, I'm planning this trip. Do you want to do it? I'm like, okay. You know, I'm absolutely honored that, you know, he thinks of me that much of an ops guy to drive in the motorcade. You know, it's just, I've done it before and, you know, obviously haven't knock on wood rear-ended anybody so far. But uh, so I say, okay, I roll my eyes and tell my wife, and sure, sure as hell, two, two seconds later, I get a call from the White House, put me through this big screening thing. They sent me a, a background check to do. I'm like, oh, you know, so you know me sometimes like pretty laid back. I'm like, well, where are we going? Like, sir, we can't tell you that until you show up on site. I'm like, oh, OK. So they're like, we'll be in touch. And uh, three days later, I got a call the day before and they're like, hey, be at the airport at 8 a.m. Don't bring anything that you wouldn't have going through security at the airport. So sure. Next thing you know, I'm, I'm sitting in a, a black SUV on the, on the tarmac of uh, TF Green, right where we landed when we played UMass. And, you know, AF2, Air Force 2 comes in, lands, and uh, I was actually the third car in the motorcade. So it was the, the vice president. Then in the second car, it was the former governor, who is now the secretary of commerce, uh, Gina Raimondo, and our current governor. And then I had all of vice president's uh, senior staff, my car. So it was just cool, cool to be a part of having an ops background and getting to see like cars pulling up, like on an X, these people here, there, it was, it was clockwork and they had an itinerary and it was to the second. So it was a thing of beauty in my eyes. I, I really enjoyed it. It was a cool experience. So there's a lot of ways I can directions I can go here with this question, but operationally, right. There's some things you've seen over the years, right? Some are more advanced than others. Some happen on a whim. Nothing's happening on a whim there. No, everything's down to the second. No. Like said. Yeah. And he, he does all of like the, the lead legwork out of the white house. So he's planning motorcade drivers. He's like, okay, I can save a seat on the plane because I have a guy that can clear a background check and do the job really well. And now he ended up driving in the front seat with me, but it was just following directions. Uh, the guy who is their advanced person gets there five days in advance, scopes out every place. They bring the, the, the vehicles that at least the, the vice president and the secretary of commerce and the governor were in, were flown in from DC. They do a full sweep. I mean, people on buildings, like the whole, the whole nine yards. So it, it's quite a calculated event. And he left at the end. I was like, oh, thank you so much. Like, I really appreciate this opportunity. It was cool to do. He goes, now that you've done this, I got to get you on doing, doing a car for the president. Obviously not like that high up, but he's like, if you think this is like a big to do, a presidential motorcade is in incredible. They fly the cars in. That makes sense. I mean, if you really sit and think about it and you're sitting there doing the detail and you're thinking, what's the most secure thing you provide everything that could go. Oh, you know, absolutely. That, yeah. Well, I mean, we wow. had a fly, like we had to advance our uh, jugs of water to make sure we, uh, we, we didn't get the uh, baby water. Shout out Jeremy Scott on that one. Jeremy, yeah, let's bury let's bury Jeremy while we have the chance to. Jeremy Scott, strength coach, Carolina Panthers, strength coach, Temple University, 
Penn State before that, a little bit of Princeton. Great guy. We're going to have him on the podcast. He's another one of those guys that are complaining that they're not on yet. But when I ask them, they'll say, oh, I don't know. Shout out to Jeremy. Um, love him. He's one of the favorite favorite coaches I've ever had. Uh, and now he's with the Panthers. He was at Baylor. Uh, so we got to talk about that. we got a lot of fun stories to talk about. And we'll weave the stories into the serious stuff along the way. So at Temple, and it's a great habit. And I don't know if I want to take credit for this, but I used to bring a gallon of jug. I used to bring a gallon jug of water to the meetings. Now, I don't think it happened before I got there, the gallon jugs. Now, that's kind of coming into my head now that I think about it. Was so, your first year 14 or 15? 14. Okay. So you were there. One, I got you there after your first year. Was the first year of gallon jugs being a real thing? Was that your first year? I think so. Okay. So. When I was at Florida, it was a big thing, right? You were in Gainesville. You need water all the time. You can't be in like class and like go three, four hours out some water and then go to practice. So it's a habit that like my dad, we are like big in a family in the water. And I know it sounds weird, but we are. And, and then like health wise and recovery and nutrition for me as a football player, it's huge, right? It's always been something and like everything I'm thinking about is like water. So it sounds weird, but it's just what you do. Um, but Fast forward, we'd get to the hotel and there would be water gallon jugs there for us, you know, four o'clock the day before the four o'clock, three o'clock, whenever we got to the hotel the day before the game with your key card and a cookie from the double tree. If we stay there, which shout out to ops for making that happen. Great work. And they were warm, which is unbelievable operational work. Ryan Kelly, great job. I know it's all you. Um, so can you finish the story for me now that I painted the picture? So. Uh, two two good ones is uh, obviously they have the uh, the the jugs we would get sometimes if we were going to like Houston or somewhere far we wouldn't put them in the truck just because it would take up so much room we'd have them ordered and have them there so I'm putting all the jugs out not really paying attention you know Thompson Williams writing names on flipping key cards a thousand Snicker bars a thousand Nutrigrain bars bananas the whole the whole deal. So guys get in, we do our flow, our stretch deal. And I don't know if it was, it was Sarava or Jeremy Scott pointed out that it was, uh, it was like the baby water. I should know what the name of the wall distilled, water is. Distilled water. Distilled water. Yes. Yeah, as, a, as, a, as a young father, I should know that. But yes, distilled water. And everybody's <laughs> okay. like freaking out about it. Like five, five alarm fire guys going up to the room, pouring out the gallon truck. Like I don't know how much money we wasted, but learned my lesson once on that. And then there was another time again, not sure who the initial well, the facts on it. Right. I think the, I think the facts are in distilled water. Do there's hydration. just nothing in it. It's just like, there's no hydration. Uh, there's no po positive hydration part about it. Okay. Got it. Okay, good. I want to clarify that for those listening at home. So, um, next story. Sorry. Yeah. What's the second one? Sorry to interrupt you. So next one was, uh, I, I got, I got an earful about the bananas not being yellow enough because I don't know where we, we were in, you know, Cincinnati in November or we were somewhere where bananas were not in season and they just didn't have them. And I had no options because you're better having, it's just like in, in, in the meal room, right? You're better to have cold food than no food. So I got, so I got the bananas, but they were just green. So like, I'm trying to turn them. So like the yellow sides are showing up, but sure enough, someone came and picked, there were probably only two people that took bananas that day. And one of them was like, Oh, it's green. I'm sure co coach coach rules within shouting distance and hears it. And again, I, I never got another green banana in the road. So there's small things that you guys might not have noticed that were big things to other people. And you just, they're fun stories to tell after the fact yeah and coach rule laughs it off and and he knows that in the moment that yeah it's a green banana like come on the guy that's complaining about a green banana are you kidding me this is a free banana like eat the banana but like he's also gonna give you crap because everything counts with coach rule i've had everything matters everything matters and that's what i love like it matters how you go enjoy your time away from the building it matters how you enjoy your time in the building, it matters how you approach practice. It matters how you get in and you know in the hot tub pre-practice. Everything counts. People ask me all the time, "What's Coach Rule like? What's Coach Rule like?" Because he's had this rise to just stardom, for lack of a better term, and he's been a rocket ship, which is no surprise to you, no surprise to me. Uh, and you've worked for Coach Rule now in, in two different places, 
uh, at Temple and at Baylor University. What's Coach Rule mean to you? Everyone always asks me that question, but I'm going to flip it on to you. What's Coach Rule like uh, to work for and, and develop a, a, you know, a friendly relationship with? I mean, Co- Coach Rule means an awful lot to me and my family because – he, he did give me my first full-time job at the division one level. You know, he did decide to bring me to Baylor to be a part of uh, one of, in my opinion, the greatest rebuilds in division one football history. So I take great pride in being a part of his life. Um, and I, I take great pride in the work that I did for him. Um, we became extremely close on a personal level. Uh, you know, his, his daughter was our flower girl at our wedding. Uh, you know, we picked Brian up from school. Uh, we spent time with each other's families. You know, he was there when, uh, uh, like I said, when we got married, when my wife had our first child. So all that stuff goes really deep with me, just with how much that matters on a personal level that I knew at any point in time, if I, if I deeply needed something, he was a guy that, you know, I could rely on. And I'm sure you feel the same way. Yeah, Coach Rule is a foxhole kind of guy. And, and someone that means a ton to me, he, he rebirthed my career when it was completely dead and was told at the University of Florida that you should no longer play football. You should be able to be healthy and run around with your kids and play t-ball with your sons and all these different things I heard from team doctors and all these different individuals. And I was like, what are you talking about, man? I'm 20, I'm 19 years old. Like my career's just getting started. I'm going to play in the NFL. That's what I came to Florida to do is to win do well off the field and then go play in the NFL. And now you're telling me I'm not coach rules. The only school that offered me when I had 30 offers two years before and was the top rated tight end in the country. So he's given me opportunities at all levels. And now here in the NFL, he's given the opportunity and every day I fight not to let him down, not my left, let myself down, let the people down that have supported me over the years. He's done a ton for me, but you talked about Baylor. You talked about the turnaround The you said it right. One of the biggest turnarounds in college football history, if not the greatest Talk about, right, we know the hurdles that were there. We know the obstacles that happened years before you guys got there. But maybe like a hurdle when you got there that was unique in the sense you're like, wow, we're in Texas. This is a hurdle here compared to where it was before. We're in a small area in in Waco where we're not in Philly where you have access to so many different things. There's no major airport. Talk about some of the operation hurdles that you got there that you may not have thought were going to be there. Um. You know, you have your your original hurdles of, you know, getting to know vendors, getting to know the people on campus, the go-to people, those people that really make, from an outside perspective, are my job easier um, and, you know, really gets the program moving. I, I think the biggest thing that we all struggled with was just getting dropped off the grid, you know, going from Philly, being, again, you know, like working for Coach Rule, it's like being in in the mafia, you know, you got that tight family that, you know, we're all there for each other. And that was probably the best part of the move is that we all just boom, went right down there. But then what is it, you know, what is, what a burger, what is, you know, all, all, you know, these Tex-Mex places and the barbecue joints. And I I think coach rule and, you know, uh, the coaches that were on the move hired some great local Texas guys that knew Texas, like the back of their hand. And they made that transition a lot easier. I mean, I remember the first week uh, we were there, we were in a staff room because uh, Baylor was playing in the Cactus Bowl. Um, and we were on another side of the building, you know, recruiting and doing all that stuff. And Sean and I are scrambling around trying to do housing. And they're still trying to get mid-year guys. And, uh, you know, we had the Texas high school championship games on in the background. And those guys are just talking about, you know, this player and that player and this school and that school. And it's like, you know, coach went on like a grand tour and getting in helicopters and speaking at clinics and stuff like that. And I'm sure it was a whirlwind for those guys that were out on the road recruiting, but even for, you know, the internal ops guys getting to know the areas. And, you know, we, we had uh, one of the first days I was down there, we had one of the compliance guys that had been down there for a while, just showed us around, like, this is where the kids live. This is the good dorm. This is where you want to eat. And, you know, probably one of the biggest things for me is that uh, we were getting driven around. It was me and, and me and Pads and we pull up and he's like, oh, yeah, there's this great new uh, coffee place up the road. We'll, we'll stop there. Like, OK, we're in the back of this pickup truck bombing around Waco and he pulls up and it's a Dunkin Donuts. And I, I hit Pads. I'm like, hey, we, we ain't feeling anymore. So we, we had a good laugh at that. But it was just those those guys that we hired 
um, and the support from the Baylor community that came in and really helped us, you know, embrace their culture and took us in. Well, they were a huge part of that turnaround as well. It's unique when you go to a school that's just Waco exists because of Baylor University. I fight it, even though I think University of Florida is a big city town. It's not. University of Gainesville exists because of the University of Florida. State College Pennsylvania exists because of Penn State, et cetera, right? It goes on. Everyone knows the schools, the state schools. But when you're at Temple, you could pull Temple out of there tomorrow. People have no idea in, in Center City and South Philly that Temple's not there. So as a coach, as a staff member, first off, there's great suburbs to live in. You can live in the city in a nice area. You can hide out and go to dinner here and no one would ever see you or know who you are. You could get on a train. You could be in D.C. in two hours, New York in two hours, Boston, whatever you want to do. You can get you can be mobile. Waco. It's a different vibe. It's a different it was, vibe. It was different. And you had people you had also people buying houses for the first time. So that's a whole different process coming from someone that didn't buy a house until we moved back here to Rhode Island. But um you know, for the first, I would say 30 to 40 days, Los and I split a hotel room at, at the Hilton in downtown Waco, just because we didn't know where to go. So again, you know, you'd get in a car with somebody and you'd hear about this area and you get hooked up with this realtor that knows this person. and They take you around and try to try to show you. But, you know, you got recruiting, you got official visits, your family's back home. You're trying to do it like I'm trying to send my wife pictures and you know, you never know how it's going to be, but you, you embrace it. You have fun with it. And, you know, uh, uh, going back to our original conversation, the people make it what it is. So we, yeah. we knew we were down there having a, a good time and working hard together. And that's what made it a lot easier. It's funny. We go out in the field and that's the product everybody sees, right? Uh, 10 games a year in college, whatever it is, 17 games a year this year in the NFL. But the legwork, it's not even a – you can't even discuss it because it's so – Ginormous. Especially in, in college nowadays. I mean, the calendar just doesn't stop. You know, you go, you go preseason camp, your season. If you're lucky enough to make a bowl game, you're going through Christmas. Now you don't have a holiday. Then you're into early recruiting into January. Once that gets done, you're into spring ball. Once that happens, you're into camps. You know, you, you get a gallon of jug of water and you're right back at it the next, <laughs> the next season. Yeah, you're, so. You get your two weeks off and then the one week you have to be partially in at the end of July. <laughs> that carousel goes up and down and, you know, when the kids are on campus so much, you know, it basically, you know, as you know, you're really only getting the main master off, you know, then you get summer one, summer two coach was great enough at temple to let guys leave 4th of July weekend, get another weekend off long weekend off before we got into camp in transition. But, you know, the college game nowadays with, with, with recruiting and camps and the length of the season, it, it, it's a grind and it's a constant grind. It is. It is, man. I remember our senior year, we, we got our first Maymester off. Um, and Scotty Wallace, shout out to Georgia Tech Ops, got a call and he said, hey, man, what are you doing? I said, I'm in Gainesville. I'm ready to fly back in a couple of days. He said, you're good. I'm like, I'm good. What do you mean I'm good? You know, the anxiety kicks in because you know you got to be back. Oh, yeah. It's time to get back to work. I've been training. And he's like, you're good, man. You don't need to come back for the next month. And that was a huge reward of guys that did well uh, in the classroom. Yeah. And that's really what that was a result of. It's like, okay, we, we really did well in mat drills. We killed spring ball. These guys just gave us everything athletically, academically, physically, you know, let's give them a month off, three weeks off or whatever it ended up being. But, you know, again, you get back and you're right back at it. Yeah. And it felt great. I mean, listen, and for those guys that weren't there that month off, I was doing summer school I was online, like I'm still grinding and moving and shaking, but it was very nice to have that kind of freedom. You almost felt like a pro for a little bit that you could have that. And it's something I look finally back on, but we'll pivot back to the AAC and then we're going to pivot to some stories and we'll wrap things up. So COVID, right? Everyone knows the monster. You've been asked the question a million times. How do you guys handle COVID? You know, well, how did it go? But when you look back, what would, what would you have changed or I guess, yeah, what would you have changed? Because there's some things you look back at, you say, yeah, I wish I would have done that a little bit differently, uh, but it's, it's hard to forecast COVID. Or, you know, uh, you look back at a championship game and say, you know, or a game that got canceled or et cetera, but just elaborate the COVID process and maybe some things you would have changed. Um, I'm just going to get the first one that I was really happy with was that, you know, our staff, our coaches, 
our medical group, everybody under the sun that works in an athletic program and a football program that you know about, uh, all the credit to them to getting us there. We never bumped our start date back. We never took our feet off the ground. We kept moving the thing forward. And as my boss says, you know, we were building the airplane as we were flying it. Um, but we got there. That. And the fact that we started on time, we pushed our championship game back to the, I believe it was like the 18th. Um, but that gave us some buffer weeks towards the end of the season. The third, it was the 17th. So the third and the 10th to meet, remake games, make up games if we needed to. So the fact that we started on time really helped us because you saw with some of the other you know, teams across the country, they were trying to get games in at the end. It was just like, there's just no dates to play. So you had some teams playing in conference championship games, playing in bowl games that, you know, didn't have a lot, just a lot of playing time under the belt. Um, you know, thank God for, for Zoom and technology. I couldn't imagine if we had a pandemic back in the 80s where you couldn't get on a Teams meeting, you couldn't get on a Zoom meeting. Like we're pulling people you know, our conference is the American. We're all over the place. But to be able to get a person from Houston, Philadelphia, Tampa, and Cincinnati on a call on a whim to figure something out made it extreme, made it a lot easier. Um, you know, I, I think if we could have changed something, it was, you know, maybe being a little bit more firm with putting policies together quicker. But that was still an evolving process because you know, we had that second wave or whatever wave it was over the summer. And then the restrictions kept getting different. And again, with us being all over the place, we were dealing with Florida and Texas, two states that, you know, obviously are the way they are. And Pennsylvania being the way that they are, throwing the Naval Academy, that the government, so throw that one out. And everybody was dealing with their different stuff on campus. I mean, Temple ended up having a tent out on their practice field just so they could lift and, and change and do all that stuff. Because God knows you can only get a couple of people in those. You can't socially distance in some of those meeting rooms. Um, so everybody was kind of dealing with their own stuff. So I think you know, at a certain point of it, we just kind of pulled back a as a league and let the teams work with their local government officials to, to figure out how they can make it work over the summer in their facilities. It's an unbelievable juggling act that you guys did, and it's it's fantastic. Uh, it, it, a successful year, obviously. Cincinnati had a really big year, and and carried the stick, carried the torch uh, for the American Athletic Conference. Can you talk about them as a team? Um, talk about the Final Four and your thoughts on all that to, as a whole. Yeah, uh, you know, Cincinnati's a, a, an unbelievable team with a great coaching staff and. I remember my first experience uh, of going out to Cincinnati uh, with Coach Fickle as a head coach was a spring practice. And I had been to a couple spring practices around the league and stuff like that. But I, I walked in, they have this bubble, and you just heard guys coaching and players like hitting and the pads clamping. And it, it felt like I was back at a Tuesday practice at Temple. That's what it felt like. And, you know, that's the result that they put on the field, you know, what they preach. Um, you know, through their social media and their recruiting and everything, they, they are as advertised. And I think a lot could be said for that for a team's culture. Um, but th they showed up every week. They were well prepared. Uh, they, they handled uh, COVID extremely well with a lot of stuff that they went through. Um, they played a fantastic Tulsa team in the championship game. Uh, I felt bad for Cincinnati uh, as a football program and as a community because I think we only ended up having about 7,000 fans at that game. And if that was a true championship game at eight o'clock primetime ABC, that place would have been rocking. And uh, we played a primetime game out there when, when you were playing. Um, and so, you know, that environment that I'm talking about, but um, it's I, a beautiful I think a stadium in the South end in the South end zone. I think it's South end zone. Yep. They have almost like a city hall and then the, the seats go straight up and, yeah, it's a student section back there, and I believe you had a. Did you have a touchdown that game down that end? I I did not. I did not. Only one touchdown in my career, one, um, and that was against uh, USF Thursday Night Football, 2016. God, I thought it. It's the opening of our podcast. So when people when you pop this podcast on, you hear the great Harry Donahue on the call, and <laughs> and Sharga Armstead split backs. I've heard it a million times now because I edit the podcast and get it going. So um, that's great. 
Yeah, fond memories, and we're going to talk about that. Let's talk about the well. First, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about uh, let, let's discuss this, and I'll get into about how great the American Athletic Conference is city wise. I love playing in it. My family loved partying and traveling in and coming to games. But so you're going to a spring practice, and you're traveling throughout the year to go to all these different things. What are you doing, right? What do you what what are what's a part of your job when you're when you're going to a Cincinnati spring practice? So usually I'll make a call a couple of weeks ahead, tell them I'm coming in. Uh, it's it just get to, you know, it's for me to get more FaceTime to see the program up front, uh, you know, being the main liaison for the DFO, for the facility liaison, for the equipment guy, for the video guy. I like to get in and, you know, meet with them face to face and get to see their program up close and, and, and see their coaches and um, kind of spend a day, you know, uh, get in in the morning. If it's a morning practice team, get in there and watch a whole practice. And once they get off the field, you know, make my rounds and see those guys and uh, you know, maybe stop at a hotel or two in the city, uh, knowing that we have to book uh, hotels for all 11 cities, not knowing where the championship game is going to be. So trying to be productive as I can with the amount of time that I have, um, but knowing that it's easy to get in and out of just because of the convenience in the, uh, of the cities that we're in. Before we transition to the cities, you just had a great point there. You have to reserve 11 different two hotels with in every set- city. Uh, no. So the home team is required to, to book theirs. So that's part of their deal. They just extended it out of game, but I have to get 11 visiting team hotels with a seven day cancellation policy for a room block that big with food and beverage. It's amazing. But again, that kind of income that that can like a football team staying for just a, like, you know, that 24 hour period and hitting four meals, you know, snack, you know, dinner, breakfast, lunch, dinner the next day, because it's a night game, late checkout. So the money that they can, that can bring in, I think it's worth it. And then as we go along and as people become mathematically eliminated from hosting, we just cancel the contract. So it's a lot of work up front. I'm starting to go through it right now. Uh, usually you have them all booked up by the uh, probably July, uh, beginning of July. So going into the season, everybody knows like, Hey, if you're, you know, if you're going to Houston, you're staying at the JW Marriott. You know, if you're going to uh, Navy like we did, you're staying at the Hyatt Inner Harbor. You know, you're you're. It, it's easy. It's easy for them that they. I just throw the contact out and be like, "Hey, here you go." And then we give um, our host team and our visiting team a stipend, and it covers uh, covers their travel. And we also provide a charter, so the the visiting team doesn't have to worry about a charter. I have a um, hundred 83 seat plane reserved and it's ready to go to 11 different cities. I just got to tell it where to go. That's the coolest part about operations. I used to love coming up and sitting in with you guys eating lunch or whatever. I'm like, all right, what's the latest, what's going on? You know, I always say, it's always always something. There's always a hurdle that needs to be to keep the team moving. Then the players, 90% of them don't even know, don't even notice it. 99% don't even notice it. Maybe the 1%. That's the way it should be. Right. That's exactly what you want. You're like the offensive lineman if you don't know your name, you know. No, I no, I say it's like I, I was a specialist in college. I was a kicker and punter in college, and I said, you know, ops is just like being a specialist. If you don't hear his name and and nothing said, then, then you're doing your job and everything's good. You're doing your job. So you mentioned the cities and in, in, in the Great American Conference. I love Annapolis. You have Philly. Uh, then you work your way down ECU. What a tremendous environment to go watch a game at the people are the nicest human beings on earth. My parents said, and, uh, uh, my, my in-laws to be said that when they went to our temple ECU game, 2015, Thursday uh, night. Yep. Trying to get ready to play Notre Dame. Uh, they, people thanked them for coming. People thanked them. They thought it was a joke. And I was like, thought they were like Eagles fans, like pulling a prank, you know, like, <laughs> you don't oh. get that in Philly. <laughs> Joke's on you, buddy. No, he was like, literally, like, they are thanking us for coming to their town. And, and I love that. I love I called games at Temple for three years. I called two games at ECU. So Saw you a couple tra- times on the road? Yes, correct. That was always a highlight, a big embrace in the hallway, and we would take off and go somewhere. Uh, we got – we grabbed uh, – in Cincinnati, we grabbed breakfast. I believe that was in Cincy. Yeah. That was great. So uh, that's another part. That was just so much fun. But there's great. You get Cincinnati's a big city, lots to do. Houston, Dallas – Obviously, the Florida hubs. Everyone loves traveling there. You got USF in Tampa, UCF in Orlando. I'm sure I'm forgetting a few. But New Orleans. Okay. Yeah. New Orleans, New or- Memphis. New Orleans, Memphis and Tulsa. Tulsa. Yeah. 
uh, and UConn's out now. So yeah, it, it, it was really cool and I loved playing in it. I loved hearing the stories from the families and, and from, from those that partaked in the fun the night before the games while we were sleeping and, and getting ready for bed. But we're going to talk about some fun. We're going to talk about some stories here over the years because we got plenty of them. Um, first, I'm going to, I'm going to dress this story up, um, and tell my side of it first and, and, and intermingle it with your side because it's a good one. It's an all-timer. And, and this is a huge recruiting weekend at Temple. This is going into my senior season and it's February and it's, we are getting a huge storm. This isn't like, Hey, you're going to get 10 inches this weekend, folks. And like, no state of emergency. we're talking state of emergency, shut the city down. It happens once every, I don't know, 10, 15 years, 20 years, shut it down. You're getting three feet of snow in the city. When the plows go down the road, it's going to be piles as high as 10 to 15 feet. You need to get your car and yourself out of the city if you can. Okay. So that paints the picture. Um, Coach rule says to me, I need you this weekend. And it's frequent, right? Uh, we have some recruits coming to town that, you know, Anthony Russo, I went to school with, we went to Archbishop Wood together and he said, I, I'd like to be able to host Russo and his family. I know the Russos. We played CYO football together. I said, okay, coach, no problem. Sam Franklin, who's now sits next to me in the locker room. He also came on that weekend. Who's never seen snow before. He's from Florida. So I said, no problem, coach. You got it. Um, and uh, it was a whole recruiting weekend. I don't know how Sam's flight got in, but that's paints the picture and, and I'll intermingle as the story goes on, but I'd love to hear your side of it, Ryan. So we're obviously all over the place and we, we have our, our fleet of SUVs, um, as you well know, and uh, 10 passenger vans. So the uh, first, first part of the story that I love is that we, we're, we're going out of the gates at Temple and we get in and it's like, oh, who's going to drive? And, and Coach well, let's hold on. Let's like, pause it. Let's pause it. I'm sorry. There's no restaurants open in the entire city. Not one. Nothing is nothing. So where are we going? We are going down to the Doubletree Hotel. So we're all sitting there, like kind of palms up, like who's going to drive? And Coach Rule looks at me. He's like, Ryan's from upstate New York. He's driving in the snow. So I grab the keys and I'm like, God, I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to get heckled, how this is going to go. So we get up Diamond, we bang a left on Broad, we're making our way down, and we get to like Gerard maybe. And there's just people buried. So Coach Rule jumps out of like the cars. It's moving with like Coop and Mike Wallace, and they just start pushing people out. So like we drive a block, start pushing people out, drive up a block. But I mean, again, to to speak to how Coach Rule was in Philadelphia and how our staff was, I mean that I, I wasn't surprised. But you know that I'm trying to slam on the brakes and not you know hit the person in front of me as they're they're Our doing skinny. that. So we push a couple people out and make our way down and thank God they had a parking garage down at Doubletree. So there's nothing more going on than we're going to be at the Doubletree. We're going to eat at the Doubletree. We're going to try to walk to some places. We're calling around to see what's open. Um, and we got to a point where it's like, you know how it is. It's like, hey, need an SUV out front now. You know, I can just hear Saravo saying, hey, need an SUV, SUV five out here now. And, you know, our, our good friend, student assistant at the time, Brian Fallon, I, I don't know who flipped him the keys, but someone flipped our student assistant the keys and he went in and got a 10 passenger van and went into this back alley as, you know, I don't know if he didn't think about backing out or what it was, but, you know, next thing he's kind of sh like timid, shy coming through the door and what's up? he's like, uh, well, um, the van stuck. I'm like, okay, let's, let's, Let's go get it. So I go out and I think it's me and Los and Foles. So Foles is like, ah, get it. I'm driving. So we're out there. We're found. We're like trying to, you know, you do the rocket before you're trying to do it. And then, you know, Coach Rule must have heard, caught wind of what was going on. So him and uh, I think it was Damir came out too. I wish I still had the video. Um, I'm sure somebody has it. So, you know, we're, we're rocking the thing and, and, and Coach is just, Scream, fools, punch it. So, like, we're trying to make sure, like, he doesn't hit ground and most and I are in the front and we're just screaming, trying to get it to go. And, and then Rule's like, hold up, hold up, hold up. Fools, you got the thing in drive? And, and 
and then just just drove out easily. The thing was in neutral the whole time as he was trying to punch it out. We were just rocking it. The tires must have been spinning because as soon as he put it in drive, he just drove right around. But you know, oh, we're good, I, boys. I, Don't worry about it. Uh, it's good. Again, okay. A, a team, a team effort, and you know something that it's little stuff like that that you know makes you laugh, and you know. Well, have your Good next story queued, queued up here because I got one more. I'll, I'll tell my side of it, and we'll finish with the story as we wrap things up here with the great Ryan Kelly, the Director of Football Operations, American Athletic Conference. So I am behind you guys. So you guys are down there. We're going to meet you. We're actually we're going to meet you at that restaurant uh, above the Suburban Station right across from the Reading Terminal. And we're going to meet you guys there. And the field house. I was, the field house correct great job that's great Philly. that's the only place that was open yep and it's good it's a good spot too it's a yeah it's a good spot and uh so end up uh getting a car myself russo sam franklin again who's my locker mate now and i forget who was driving but they're from texas i believe okay i'm sitting in the front seat and i'm kind of like a dad figure in the sense that like i kind of I was raised like there's one way to do things like especially in the snow like you know if you don't have change in your tires you do this you were driving in load gear etc so like that's me like do we have shovels like before we leave like let's put shovels in the back um do we have some wood or anything that we can prop the tires on just because we get stuck we can drive over and continue so I'm like kind of the dad and okay people are laughing at me you know I'm tripping all these different things okay fine well make sure it's in the back so we do the same thing you guys do. We pull out of EO, which was our facility, make the right, heading up, uh, let's see, 10th Street. Yep, heading up 10th. Oh, yeah. And we are, I don't know, 200 yards from Broad Street and the car, the truck just stops because the person driving is just, there's no one on the road. There's no one anywhere. It's a red light. Do not stop. Keep going. I will pay the ticket. If we stop, we're getting stuck. And it's a slight hill up it's a slight hill up to, to uh, Broad Street. And again, I'll reiterate, it's a state of emergency. No cars on the road. No cars. So there's not a, literally, there's no person anywhere other than Temple football, man. We're getting to get these two kids. They end up coming to Temple, actually, and having great careers. Uh, Anthony's out of Michigan State and Sam Franklin's in the NFL. So uh, long story short, we get stuck. I jump out, shovel us out, and literally shovel up two tire tracks, 200 yards, two tire tracks. For us to, to get, get to Broad Street, just a Broad Street, and I'm pushing, and guys are in the car, and my hands are frozen solid. So what I do is I'm like, turn the heat up, Max. They're like, oh, it's getting too hot in here. I'm like, turn the heat up, Max. I put my hands up to the heater, and we would move, and I would shuffle next to the car. Then the car would stop, and then I would dig us out again. So everyone played a little bit of superhero that day, and uh, it's a day I'll never forget. And we landed the two guys, and they were tremendous, all conference players and great American conference players. Uh, at Temple, so it's something that, of, of course, we we look fondly back on. Whether they would have came or not, it would have. It was still for great stories, but it always helped. I think they had to after that point. They had to, because Sam tells me now he's like, "Man, everyone's jumping through hoops." I'm like, "This is the place I need to be." Uh, and obviously, you know, Anthony is a local kid and had a great career, and he's going to do great at Michigan State, and hopefully, makes it to the NFL as well. So, all right, Coach Rule's been the topic today a little bit. Do we have any more fun Coach Rule stories as we finish things up here? Uh, I, I got one good one. So. We're back at Temple, and I get a call on uh, Sunday from AD Adam DeMichael, and AD's like, Temple Ryan, did you play? Did you play baseball in college? Because I, I played co- uh, Division three baseball in college, and I was like, yeah. And he's like, okay. And like Coach Rule texts me, he's like, you're co- you're coaching baseball with us. I'm like, baseball. And I'm texting Los, and Los is with them too, and it's for Bryant's Little League team. So now here we are coaching Taney Little League down in South Philly. It's me, Coach Rule, AD, and Lowe's. Like, bag of helmets, the balls, the, the, the book, the whole, the whole deal, right? So we're out there. AD, AD is throwing batting practice. Lowe's is hitting ground balls. Coach is out there throwing pop-ups to the guys. It, it's great. It was an absolute blast. Um. But we'd go and we'd played games and everybody knew who Coach Rule was. So it was like some of these like literally digs. It's like, oh, I'm playing against Matt Rule. And like 
you know, they're throwing their best, like we saw everybody's best pitcher, right? Like everybody's throwing their race. Um, but we were, uh, we were playing a game one day down at Taney and I'm coaching third base. I was a third base coach. So I was like, you know, cool. Uh, I'll do this. No problem. So we're like in the middle of the game and, you know, kid on second base, there's a hit. And what do you do when the ball gets the outfield? You send the kid. Kid's got to score, right? It's literally no one can make a throw home from the outfield. Well, this kid was running with cinder blocks on his feet and got thrown at at home. And I can kind of see coach's body language, as you know, just kind of tensing up. Like, what were you thinking? You know, and I'm like, okay, I can justify that. Ball the outfield, guy in second, you know, we didn't score many runs that year, like had to send them. Similar situation happens next inning. Do it again. Just start sending the kid. Sure enough, see the ball go to the plate, out at home. Yep, yep you're done. You're done. You're out. So I got removed. Inning, coaching third base in a little league game, which I'm sure we lost by 10. But, you know, again, we were all competitive guys and, and you know, had a fun experience with those that group of kids and you know you never expect you know you're, you're playing against Penn State and Notre Dame in the fall and never thought you'd be coaching Little League Baseball with, with some 12 and 13 year olds uh in the spring but a good change good change of pace but you know kind of had the same result we're going to compete in everything we do from ping pong Absolutely. to sending kids home to third base you got axed by one of the most competitive people I've ever come across in coach rule. And, he and, and you know what? I should, I, I, I should have known better. I knew what the result was going to be, but I didn't think I was going to go over two. Wow. That's a tough day, man. And you know, it's just probably if someone else was on base, maybe you're the King, maybe Ryan Kelly was the guy that sent him home and you're the man, but Hey, can't win them all, especially in little league. You cannot win them all. God no, bless those parents not. that sit through those games. Um, I probably will be one someday. So, um, Ryan, we really appreciate you coming on. We know you guys have Thanks a lot going me. on. And uh, I'm looking forward to, to it for a good summer. Any plans this summer up north? I live five minutes from the beach, Colin. You can know, you, you'll know where to find me. It's just like uh, if I was coming down to Cape May to see you. I'd go to about three different spots and sure I could spot you there uh, pretty quick. Yep, that sounds about right. So Ryan Kelly, Director of Football Operations, American Athletic Conference. Really appreciate you having on. Thanks, Colin. She woke up one day with the rising of the sun, surrounded by fields of grain.